I have to tell you, the last two mornings I've gotten up and went out of the house and it was well below 30 degrees. Um, and for Phoenix, that's saying something. For the people who travel from the north to be here during the winter time, they're like, yeah, so. Um, however, you kind of get used to the warmer temperatures and, and that's a little brisk when you walk out in a pair of shorts and t-shirt and it's 21 degrees. That said, um, that kind of let me know that maybe it would be good for us to get a little exercise just to keep warm today. And the only exercise I'm going to ask is not going to do much for you except it will keep your hearts warm. We're going to use our Bibles today instead of the screens. And so I'm going to ask you to keep up with me. And I'll try not to bounce around too much. We will be primarily in the Old Testament, uh, specifically Joshua, because that's the sermon series that we're on right now. Uh, but before I get into all that, I wanted to share something with you. And if you're on Facebook, then you are aware that I was planning to bring a special artifact. And I have it here with me. It, it is not mine. I borrowed it um, from one of our conference leaders who managed to obtain a 3,000-plus-year-old shred of pottery from Jericho. And as we were talking about the walls of Jericho, he was telling me about it, and he brought it to me. There's a couple other shards here that I'm not too sure the age on them, but he sent them along with because they are from Old Testament times. However, this one, the larger one, you'll look at it, and I'm going to lay it down here so you can look at it after the sermon if you wish. The only thing I ask, please don't take it out of the bag, and please don't take it out of the building. I'm responsible for this. Um but you'll notice the side that I leave up has uh, a texture to it. And the archaeologist explained that that is a glaze that they used during that era. And, and so it is maintained for 3,000 years, give or take, um, being made by human hands, a little piece of pottery here. And I did look up some pottery from the era, and I was like, it, it really does resemble to a certain extent. So I am not saying that this was broken during the walls of Jericho come tumbling down or not, but it is nice to kind of imagine that maybe we're holding a piece of biblical history here. And I'm just going to leave it in the bag and I'm going to lay it here. And we can look at that after church if you would like to. Uh, if you're like me and you like those little tidbits of history and archaeology. And I am grateful for our vice president for sharing that with me so that I could share it with you. Uh, we are in Joshua, and as most of you know by now, I'm in a master's program, and in fact, I'm going to go out on a limb. I've hesitated to announce the final class, uh, but I'm three classes away from graduating now, so I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say by the end of this year, I will have completed a master's degree. But one of my first classes was archaeology and the Bible. And to me, that was one of the most interesting classes that I could have taken. And to this date, out of all the classes that I've had, it is still one of my favorites because I learned so much and I got to see so much. It, it was fantastic because it was during COVID, so I only got to watch the videos, but the professor took a, a, a little, looked like an ashtray, 
and he handed it out to the class, and he said, you can pass that around, and people are just kind of, here you go, catch it, eh, cool, catch it, and he said, by the way, he said, that's a lamp that was made during Abraham's era, and they were only made for 75 years, and automatically you saw people here. They all of a sudden started taking really good care of that ashtray looking like lamp. Um, but he, he explained how it worked. He showed us lamps from Jesus era. Um, if you remember the story of the 10 virgins who had the lamps with oil that ran out of oil, when you actually see the size of them, you can understand why they ran out of oil so quickly. Um, so it was very interesting to see these artifacts. He had other stuff. In fact, I'm on a perpetual invitation to go on a dig in Israel, Jericho, in, in that area at any time that I'm free to go. And, and I always choose my church family and my family over that. But the itch is there. Boy, would I like to just pick up even just a little, little shard of a, a piece of pottery, you know, just something that I can take home and say, I was there and I saw that. Um, but it's, it, it's a fascinating discipline. And one of the interesting parts of that class is we studied the excavations of Jericho. And so I, I've always enjoyed taking what I learned from that class and applying it to the story of Jericho because there's actually a, a big um, debate on whether or not Israel was even there when, Jesh, when, when Jericho was defeated. And if so, what timeline was it on? And they, they get really wrapped up in all the details of it. And I, for one, I don't get caught up in too many details. I find it interesting, but I have the Bible and I believe what the Bible says, so I just go with that. Um, they, they can come up with timelines, et cetera, et cetera. But my Bible has a different point, I think, than the timeline. And today we're going to look at that. The walls of Jericho is what we're looking at today. Last week we looked at Rahab and how she was affected by Israel and what God did for her. This week we're looking at the walls, and we sang the song, The Walls of Jericho, and I don't know if you sang it when you were a kid, if you thought, use your imagination the way that I use my imagination, um, but, but I remember hearing that song, and I'd always picture those walls as they come tumbling down and, and crashing in the blocks of rocks, etc. But when you study the excavations of what those walls actually looked like, my childhood mind couldn't fathom what they were. And, and there was actually this large embankment that went all the way around the city of Jericho. And on top of that was a retainer wall that was about 12 to 15 feet. And on top of that retaining wall was a mud brick wall that was about six feet thick, if you will. So going from the edge maybe to about here, about that thick, plenty wide enough for three or four people to walk side by side going, going back and forth on the walls. And it was actually 20 to 26 feet tall. That's on top of the retaining wall, that's on top of the embankment. So that alone exceeded the picture that I had in my mind of the walls of Jericho. You know, I had something like you, you see in your subdivisions today, you know, you might on tippy-toe look over the top. That, no, that's not it. Uh, this is much, much taller than that. But there was more because at the crest of the embankment, another 46 feet higher than the ground outside that retaining wall was another mud brick wall 
that went up another 20, 26 feet. And I want you to just stop for a second and picture yourself in your own human height, however tall you are, standing at the bottom and looking up to the top. And I don't know if, you know, we've got some pretty tall buildings, and I don't think this quite matches those. But in that day and time, that would be amazing to stand at the bottom and think, yeah, I'm going to go in there. And in fact, think about being military, and that's the city that you're supposed to overtake. It'd be a head-scratcher at the least, right? Because the weaponry of those days, and we'll talk a little bit about weaponry, but the, the weaponry of those days was basically copper. And they had daggers, you know, nothing, nothing much more than about this long. That, that was really their, their swords, you know. So, you know, stop and think about this. Israel, as we said, they're coming out of the wilderness coming into history, they're walking into history out of the wilderness, they're emerging onto the historical scene, they don't have, they haven't seen a lot of war, they haven't seen a lot of battle, they haven't really been prepared for this type of thing because God always fights their battles for them. And here they come out, God has told them, you're going to go attack Jericho and look at that wall with your copper knife. Right, that's going to happen. Can't you imagine? It would almost seem impossible to be able to defeat Jericho. So if you're in the if you're in your Bible on your phone or in the book, doesn't matter. If you're in Joshua, turn to chapter five. I'm going to start reading in verse thirteen. Joshua chapter five. I'll start reading in verse thirteen, and we'll go into chapter six till about verse five. So bear with me, and I'm reading from the New King James. It says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none come in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Now, I don't know how much military experience you guys have or how much battle experience you guys have. But I just want to take a look at this plan for a minute. You know, first, before we get into that, we mentioned it the other day. How special is it that God himself, the Lord, took the time to come down 
and personally dictate the battle plan to Joshua. I mean, how would you feel if you were in his position? Okay, because for a second there, you guys were crying. I was like, really? You're not impressed? I would be amazed. You know, I'd be like Joshua. I'd be on the ground. You know, that'd be special that God himself came to give me those plans. But relieved, I I heard relieved, um, that would be a good one because when you're facing that daunting city, it's going to need God to overcome that city. Amen? I mean, you stop and think. These are battle-trained soldiers that we're going up against in an impregnable city with those huge walls. And I think about these battle plans, if you listen to them, how many of you think that that sounds like a great battle plan? I'm telling you. You know, you guys heard the, the what's going on in the Middle East right now, right? You, you heard about the, I have to look because I don't pronounce these well as the, the, the Houthi, if I'm pronouncing it right, Houthi, Houthi. You, you heard that they've been sending strikes out into the Red Sea and, and I think there was 27 strikes and it affected 50 different nations. And the United States responded. Did you hear about that? We responded with airstrikes. And, and Biden sent out the airstrikes to go and, and attack these people. But can you imagine if you were the commander of the military, the chief of staff, and the president came to you and said, here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you to take all your soldiers and I want you to march around the Houthi camps one time and then go back to camp. Do that six days in a row. Then on the seventh day, I want you to just march around it seven times and then shout. That's your battle strategy. Hop to it. I can see some generals pulling some pins off their uniforms and saying thanks, but no thanks. Wouldn't you? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to us at all. But you see, Joshua has some experience working with God. Joshua has a history there. He knows that God, the true God, can make the impossible possible. He knows that God does things in such a way that not only does he make the impossible possible, but he's going to turn some heads while he does it. Have you ever experienced God doing something in your life that normally you would say was impossible. I hear a lot of people saying, oh yeah, we've experienced that. I've experienced it. Things that I can't even explain. And I try to explain it to people and they're like, I have a doctor that I can send you to call because it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, but God does it. It defies logic and that it works. If you ever need evidence that God is real, don't look to archaeology. Hang out with him for a while, and he will show you beyond any shadow of any doubt that he exists. Experience God firsthand. You will believe. But if you're going to stick around with God, you're going to need to have a little faith, right? Joshua and and Israel had faith. They had some faith because they experienced God doing special things. You remember, not long before attacking Jericho, they were on the other side of the Jordan River. 
And God told him, arise and go. Arise and go. And while they're supposed to go, where were their eyes supposed to be? On the Ark of the Covenant. I'm sorry, I'm trying to lead you into this. On the Ark of the Covenant. And and what was special about the Ark of the Covenant? We're reviewing right now, if you didn't know. What was special about the Ark of the Covenant? That's where God was. Keep your eyes focused on God as you arise and go across the Jordan River. He didn't even tell them how they were supposed to get across. He didn't tell them that he was going to part the waters. But he did tell them, by the way, step in the water and we'll make it happen. Just go. Arise and go. Keep your eyes on me. This is going to happen. Usually crossing the Jordan wasn't a big deal, except it was flooded And God pushed the water back about 20 miles upstream to create dry land for the children of Israel to cross on. You think that turned a few heads? Israel had experience with God. Israel knew that when God says go do something, as crazy as it sounds, just go do it because God's going to make sure that it works. And God tells the priest to step down into the water before he was going to part the water. You got to have a little faith. No matter how much experience you've had with God doing the impossible, you still have to step out in faith. But boy, when you do, God does some amazing things. And so when they look at the walls of Jericho, You know, they sent the spies, but they had the experience with God. And and when they look at the walls of Jericho, they don't look at them the same as we would or the, the same as the military would. When they hear God's plan, they don't think about it the same as as our generals, our chiefs of staff. They don't look at it that way. They look at it as, well, God's got a plan, so we'll just follow him. God's got a plan, so we'll just follow him and we'll keep our eyes on him. But not only has God done this, God actually told him beforehand to expect it. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses was still alive at this point, and he was addressing Israel. And listen to what he says. Hear, O Israel, 9 verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself. Cities great and fortified up to heaven. Did you hear that? Cities great and fortified up to heaven. When you're standing at the base of the walls, you're going to turn your head up and it's going to look like they go all the way up into heaven. You're going to be amazed by what you see. By no logic would you attack that city because it doesn't make sense. It's not humanly possible. But I, the Lord, am telling you to go because I'm going to. I'm going to. Moses told them that they were going to come to that city. And excavations show that Jericho was not only armed, they were heavily armed. They had armaments stored up. They could withstand a siege inside there for ages. 
And if anybody could possibly get through or past those walls, then they faced their military. It was an impossible situation, but God said, arise and go, arise and go. And part of this plan, this impossible plan, was to march around the city for seven days. Sometimes faith requires patience. We don't like that one as much, do we? We don't like patience. I got to tell you as, you, as you guys know, we're looking for a house and we've had some disappointments along the way and, and it's been 15, going on 16 months that we've been house shopping for the right house. And sometimes you look at that and it's easy to get discouraged. Sometimes it feels like, well, God's forgotten us or maybe there is no house or maybe God's got a different plan. But I remember when we moved up to northern Arizona because we were serving up there. We were driving from Phoenix to go up there and the drive is just as bad going up there as it is starting there and coming down here. It's either way, you know, it's grueling. But I remember we were looking for a house and my wife and I, I may have told you this story before, but I love the story, so I'm going to tell it again. My wife and I had had this discussion once about our dream home. What would it look like? You know, because the Bible says, you know, when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to build your own house and all this. And, and so we're like, well, you know, let's, let's talk about this. This is in the future, but let's talk about what does that house look like? And, and she came up with something and I came up with something and they were two totally, completely, utterly different looking houses. There was not one thing in common other than they were a structure with a roof. And so we joked about it and we said, well, then we'll just blend both home designs into one and we will have a unique house that nobody else has ever dreamt of. And we were good with that. And so we went house shopping. Many years later, we go house shopping and our realtor pulls us up to the first house and we get out and our jaws dropped. And we looked at each other. And we look back at the house and we look back at each other and we're like, somebody else thought of it. It was exactly what we had talked about. Two totally different house plans that had been merged together. It was impossible that we, we would find that. And so we're standing in the house and we're, I'm, I'm talking to the realtor. I'm like, we want it. Okay, well, come and look over at this. And I'm like, no, we're ready to make an offer. Well, that's fine. But have you seen the kitchen? There's a skylight in the kitchen. That's fantastic. We're ready to make an offer. In other words, get your phone out. We're ready to go right now. You know, and I'm like, we don't even, we're not even going to haggle on the price because this is our dream house and it's in our budget. I don't care. I want this house. And so we left there and I was talking to my wife. I was like, she never said that she was going to call, did she? I'm going to send a message. We really want the house. We're ready to make an offer right now. And we had to stop and buy gas. So I wasn't driving while I was texting. And I filled the tank. I went inside. I came back out. She responded. I just called the other realtor. They accepted an offer on this house while we were inside looking at it. Man, we were crushed. This was our dream house. And so we went on the, the next week. We saw another house. And it wasn't our dream house, but it was still a good house. you know. And it, it wasn't perfect, but we could make it work. And I told her, we're standing there. I said, I'm serious. We're ready to make an offer on this house. You know, in other words, let's not wait five minutes. Let's call now. She called and she goes, you're not going to believe this. 
They just accepted an offer five minutes ago. We got discouraged and we stopped looking for about three weeks because we just couldn't bear any more of those disappointments. Well, finally, God led us to the house that we currently live in. And we've been blessed with beautiful views. We've been blessed with with uh, location, being able to get all the churches and, and serve. And God even rearranged the district so that I lived seven minutes from my closest church. You know, it, it, was just, it was fantastic. Oh, by the way, did I mention that the next spring we found out and both those houses that we made an offer on flooded. Sometimes faith requires patience. Keep your eyes on God, follow him because he knows what's best and he's got a plan. So Israel, seven days circling those walls. And I would imagine you look up at those walls as you're walking around, as you're marching in form, and there are people up there in armor with bows and arrows, with spears ready. I mean, you just make flinch. And, and and here it comes. Just flinch. That's all it takes. And, and you look back in, at what God had said. You look back at what God had said. And, and God had told them to don't make any noise. Joshua 6, verse 10. Let me go back to Joshua. Joshua 6, verse 10. God had told them, don't make any noise. It says, now Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. Six days in a row, don't open your mouth. Just walk. Don't say anything. Don't say Jesus loves you. Don't say, hey, come visit my church. Your religion is terrible. Your religion is wrong. No, no, that. Don't say anything. Just shut your mouth and walk. Shut your mouth and walk. Six days. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard not to open our mouths and say something. We, we're people, Right? We got to say something. But the Bible says, stay silent. Don't say anything. Just shut your mouth and walk. Their patience and their faith led to obedience. Would have been hard to obey, but they did it. And Joshua 6, starting in verse 11, said, So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. So they did six days. So they did for six days. They just shut their mouths and marched. Circled the city. Why do you think they had to go around for seven days? 
Completeness. I can buy that. Any other ideas? I hear somebody talking, but unfortunately I'm old enough I can't hear you. Patience. Okay. Faith. Good. What's that? Freak out the residents. I can't hear. Trust. Trust. Good answer. I'm sorry. Faith. Faith. Amen. All good answers, but I want to, I want to stretch your imaginations a little bit because they were all, it all had to do with the Ark of the Covenant. You notice everything was focused on the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is going to go around. You'll put some trumpets in before and you'll have soldiers, the rear guard behind, and you walk around, but I would suggest that it had everything to do with the Ark of the Covenant. They had the trumpets first as if they were announcing the arrival of a king. And right behind the trumpeters is the Ark of the Covenant, the King of Kings. The place, eh, turn too many pages. They had the King of Kings. And, and, and I believe that God was looking at Jericho, the people of Jericho, not the city, but the people, and saying, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you the opportunity to see the Lord God with his people. And we're just going to display Jesus all around the city. Don't talk, shut your mouths, and just show them Jesus. Six days in a row. Now you might be questioning that a little bit, and I used to until I realized Rahab was of the people of Jericho. Rahab was saved. And when you read 2 Peter 3, verse 9, and I ask this all the time, how many people does Jesus want to be saved? All people. And nobody closes that door except for Jesus himself. And I would suggest to you that that Ark of the Covenant was on display. You want to know who parted the Jordan River? There he is. You want to know who parted the Red Sea? There he is. You want to know who defeated the other kings? There he is. You want to know who defeated Pharaoh in Egypt? There he is. You want to know who supports and saves his people? There he is. You want to know which God lives among his people? There he is. And for six days in a row, march around that city and show, this is the Lord God Almighty. And on that seventh day, seven times in a row, this is the Lord God Almighty. And I will suggest to you that if any one of those people had sincerely repented and said, I want to be part of that, just like Rahab, they would have been accepted. The problem that Jericho had, and you can look at, at the excavation reports, you can look at it, they had their walls built up. Nobody was coming through those walls. It said it. Nobody's coming in. Nobody's going out. There is a separation here. We, we are separate. We are not crossing. We are not going to repent. In fact, we have weapons of war up here. If you try to come in, we will attack you. 
Their hearts were already set. Their minds were already made up. Their choice had been made. Yet God parades around in front of them seven days in a row to give them one last chance to say, if you just repent, if you see who it is in front of you, if you see the relationship that I have with my people, you can come out of those walls and we'll talk but the people were so walled up behind their fears, behind their anxieties, behind their selfishness, their pride, their anger, all the things that had been built up inside them that separated them from God. They were so entrenched within there, they refused to come out from behind the walls and meet the God of all gods. I think if they had that last minute change of heart, God would have accepted it. Remember the thief on the cross. Remember Rahab. In fact, let's look, Joshua 6, verse 16. says, And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. You notice it wasn't until the last trumpet sounded that judgment was finalized, that your choice was your choice. It wasn't all the way up till that last trumpet sound. People had the opportunity but they had chosen, they had already set in their hearts, they were not going to. They were not going to. Verse 20 and 21, Joshua 6, verse 20 and 21. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. The mighty walls of Jericho, those ones that reached up into heaven, were now flat. They were destroyed before the Lord God Almighty. The walls came crashing down. But the Bible says that Rahab and her family were saved. Verse 22, but Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. How in the world did they survive the walls crashing down? Well, this is where archaeology helps us. Because we read in Joshua 2, verse 15, when we studied Rahab, her house was on the wall, right? When they excavated, there was a German excavation between 1907 and 1909. Two years they excavated. They found in the walls of Jericho a small portion that did not fall down with the rest of the walls. Now, there is nothing in there that has Rahab's house, okay, Nothing that spells it out for us, but guys, come on. 
Come on, out of everything crashing down around the entire city, all the walls except for one small portion. Except for one small portion. Again, I believe in my Bible. And I believe God made a way for Rahab to be saved. Not only was her family saved, but she became part of Israel, part of the family of God. She married a man named Salmon, and they in turn had a son named Boaz. You remember the series we did on Ruth. Boaz was King David's great-grandfather, the son of Rahab the harlot. Rahab has this special spot in the family tree of Jesus. She was literally part of God's family. God has a long history of wanting people to change their mind. He waits until the last minute, until we've decided 100% either for him or against him. In fact, we keep wondering, when is the end? When is Jesus coming back? And we keep talking about, it's got to be soon. It's got to be soon. It's got to be soon. And we ask, Lord, what are you waiting for? We're ready. I guarantee you, someone else has not made that decision yet. And he is waiting. He is holding out until every last person who will make a decision for him has made that decision for him. He will not close time until everybody has made that decision for Jesus Christ. Everyone gets that chance, and he will wait to the very last minute. He will wait until the sound of the last trumpet before salvation is closed. He's waiting for everyone, giving everyone a chance to change their mind and to place their faith in him, the kind of faith that Israel had when God brought down those walls of Jericho. God honored Israel's faith that day by bringing down the walls, but I would suggest that he honored Rahab's faith that day too. Imagine being on that wall in your house with all your family, having that promise and seeing the walls crashing on either side of you. She must have felt like her whole world was crashing. She may have even doubted for just a moment She may have questioned. That happens with people. But God honored her faith. God honored her faith. And they took her and her family to safety and made them a part of the family of God. Because Israel had made a promise, God's people had made a promise, and Jesus kept that promise. Jesus made a promise to come back, and he will keep that promise. The question is, Will you be like the people of Jericho? Will you hoard yourself back behind a wall, not letting God come through? Will you take up arms to prevent him from getting too close to your heart? Going so far as to attack to make sure that he doesn't? Or will you be like Rahab? Will you place whatever whatever faith you've got in Jesus Christ, will you accept his invitation to be part of his family? 
Will you trust him to save you when your whole world is crashing around you? Will you join his family forever? The choice is yours. And I would ask if there is anyone here today who has never chosen Jesus Christ and would like to make that decision today to come and see me after church because I would like to talk to you what that looks like. I would like to talk to you what it looks like when Jesus saves you out of the rubble that is our world around us and to see what your future is in the family of God. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us. We thank you that all we need to do is place our faith in you and you'll make it happen. You'll design a way and that you will deliver on your promise to save to the uttermost. And Father, we pray if there is someone here today who has not made that decision, that you would touch their heart in a special way and that they, like Rahab and so many other people, they would place their faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name.